American Social History Podcasts are a production of the American Social History Project Center for Media and Learning at the City University of New York Graduate Center. Visit us online at ashp.cuny.edu. Barbara Winslow of Brooklyn College, City University of New York, discusses national women's activism in the context of the work of Congresswoman and presidential candidate Shirley Chisholm. This talk took place on November 14, 2008, at the Graduate Center. We're talking about Shirley Chisholm today for lots of reasons. And um, I want to begin by, um, I, I usually begin by saying, how many of you know who Shirley Chisholm was? So I will do that. Well, time is getting better for Shirley, because when we started creating the Shirley Chisholm uh, Center for Research on Women, I kid you not, half of our faculty, our women's studies faculty, did not know who she was. None of our students did. And so we see as one of the big roles of the Shirley Chisholm Center for Research on Women is not only to reintroduce um, the daughter of the borough of Brooklyn, so to speak, to uh, Brooklyn College students, but it's also, what is also important is to really look at the history of Brooklyn, Brooklyn activism. And just listening to so many of your questions about the challenges you face as teachers, I'm really hoping that what I'm going to be doing in this project might be uh, an invaluable uh, resource uh, for you. Okay, now let's talk about Shirley Chisholm. We're going back to the year 1968, and this was a headline from the New York Times. I want to read this middle paragraph. 1968, for women, it was a year marked by numerous firsts. In Mississippi, women won the right to serve as jurists for the first time. Now, my guess is if I study Mississippi history very closely, it's very connected with race, because African Americans couldn't serve on juries. But neither could white women. And the, the racial differences were, the, the racial explanation was very pronounced. White women were too frail and fragile to have to deliberate things like murder, rape, and so forth. Of course, African Americans couldn't serve because how dare they even judge white people. So this was an article about 1968. And Mrs. Shirley Chisholm, the first Negro woman to be elected to Congress. I mean, look how the world has changed. Mrs. 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 Nyan T. Bin, peace negotiator for National Liberation Front. Now. Um, Carol mentioned my activism in Seattle. When Madam Bin, as we called her, was the peace negotiator, all the women's groups in the countries loved her. We used to chant, live like her, Madam Bin. And some political columnist in the Seattle PI wrote, uh, a bit, created a nasty political cartoon pointing out that Madam Bin just liked to go shopping in Paris. And me and two other women wrote a letter and it said, only a sexist would do this because we know that in Vietnam, women are 100% sexually, politically, economically emancipated. And when I was doing research on this book that I'm writing about, the Seattle Women's Movement, I read this letter and I said, oh my goodness, isn't it good I step back for about 30 years before I uh, do everything? Uh, these were other first women to head trustees of a state university, the stock exchange, uh, and the model uh, Naomi Sims, the first uh, African-American uh, woman model to make the front page of the cover. I, I'm sure you all know this, but 68 is uh, marked by international opposition to the U.S. war in Vietnam. 
And then this is the explosion of the women's liberation movement. This is the demonstration at um, Atlantic City. No bras were burnt. And even from the very beginning, um, African-American women were part of uh, the way in which uh, women's liberation was presented. Um, this is a cover uh, of, a, uh, of a magazine about a demonstration in Brooklyn, which I found. Very strong black power movement in, in Brooklyn. Now, let's look a little bit at Shirley Chisholm. This is her college uh, yearbook photograph. Her name was Shirley Anita St. Hill. Her father was a Garveyite and a union organizer, and her mother was a teacher. And as a young girl, she uh, was schooled in Barbados. And I'm probably not going to say this right, but I believe that the fact that she spent, in a sense, her formative years in the islands made her even more the daughter of Brooklyn because she experiences both the immigrant experience, as well as being an African-American in Brooklyn and so forth. But I think because she spent <clears throat> her formative years in the islands where she was not a, quote, minority. I'm not saying necessarily that you know, working class Barbadians controlled the country, but that, there, that racism was experienced in a very different way, or the, 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 the way in which racial relationships were experienced. And I believe it gave her a different sensibility and a different sense of confidence as she sort of became so much of a pioneer. One of the reasons we wanted to name our center after Chisholm um, was not only because she was the first this and that, 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 but when she was at Brooklyn College, she was not allowed to join the, Democratic, uh, the College Democratic Club because she was black. So she helped found the Harriet Tubman Society. So we see her as someone who found solutions to involve people in politics while at the same time fighting against racial injustice. Now this is some, these are all part of the exhibit. And these are you know, original documents. So here is um, her, some of her campaign literature. Um, 68, yes, this is when she's running. They just redistricted uh, this district so that there could be an African-American uh, person elected. And what makes it very interesting is she runs against James Farmer, who runs as a Republican. And James Farmer had national stature. He had been involved in CORE and so forth. The problem was James Farmer had never lived in Brooklyn, so that didn't help him. <laughs> but two, what was very interesting is he ran what sort of historians are now describing as a very masculinist campaign. We need a man in Washington. We need a man to do this job. And Chisholm realized that not only was her district overwhelmingly women, these women aren't going to fall for it. But do remember, in the civil rights movement, one of the big signs was, I am a man. And there's a lot of discussion about you know, all of um, the pitfalls and the dangers of, as we look back on the masculinism. And so the other thing that she did when she was running um, her mentor was a political uh, professional named Wesley um, Mack Holder. Um, she, the district had been done so that there were whites in it. And so Mack told her, you also campaign for the white vote. Because if you have three blacks running uh, in the primary, um, if you can get the white vote, you have a better chance of winning. So she wins the primary, and then she defeats um, Farmer by two and a half to one. It was a very decisive defeat. 
And here's a picture of her counting the votes. And I wanted to get a picture of her voting because as teachers, what is so amazing is how she voted in 1968 is how you voted, or you better have, in, 19, in 2008. In the sense of? The machines are the same. The technology is the same. I'm sorry. No, you couldn't have voted for Chisholm. I beg your pardon. Thank you, Carol. Yes. So this was the New York Times headline, Mrs. Chisholm Defeats Farmer. I mean, you could just take this one article and go, why isn't it Mrs. Chisholm Defeats Mr. Farmer? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next. And this is a map of the uh, 12th congressional district today, but I just, I couldn't find a map of Chisholm's original district, but um, as a teacher, we always want to include maps in our presentations, and so um, it shows how it's been redistricted. But this is central Brooklyn. This is uh, basically the area of Crown Heights and Bedford-Stuyvesant. And at that point, her district, by the way, was very, not only African-American and Afro-Caribbean, but also Latino. Now, these are just some images of her when she was um, campaigning and then after she got um, elected. Um, that is part of this book, which I will just pass around. This, so far, is the only book that's been written about Chisholm. There's going to be a lot coming out in the next 10 years, but I'll tell you about that in just a second. This was, this is also part of the exhibit. This is a uh, campaign brochure from the 72 election. But this was the photograph of her that she uses all the time. And in her 68 election is when she coins the phrase unbossed and unbought. And there's going to be a wonderful article coming out by a uh, historian from Princeton named Josh Deal. Some of you may know the name already. Um, where he's writing about her campaign. And he makes the point that by using the word unbossed and unbought, he really is taking on both racial and gender tones. It's sort of the um, unbossed, sort of like, I'm not anybody's slave, unbought, nobody owns me, both, in of both racial and gender tones, and that she knew what she was doing. Now, she founded the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. Bella Abzug, you'll recognize, and Gloria Steinem, and Betty Friedan. There's another iconic photograph of the big four, as they were called. Um, once they founded it, the rank and file of the National Women's Political Caucus were opposing them all the time. I was doing some research on it. and. Abzug shows up for a meeting out on the West Coast somewhere, and they want to get rid of her. You just sort of think, gosh, there actually was real debate, real discussion about what a women's organization should do. And Chisholm was a very committed feminist, and she was very supportive of women's rights. And um, I had to throw this in. Carol was very nice to mention Antioch. Um, Coretta Scott King, who's here, and Eleanor Holmes Norton, went to Antioch College. This is um, Eleanor Holmes Norton being sworn in as the first woman chair of the EOC. And she asks uh, Coretta and Shirley to be there with her. Now, I wanted to just show you, here she is speaking, the House of Representatives on uh, equal rights for women. Next. OK, I'll point out some of the cast of criminals, I mean characters. <laughs> That's Richard Nixon, and I like to say it's probably the only time he's been with black people who weren't waiting on him. Um, but that's Chisholm. Can you see the very young Charlie Rangel? Um, 
there, back there's uh, Ron Dellums. And Chisholm was a founding member of the, uh, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus and had a really difficult relationship with him, a horrible relationship. Just think about this. He gets elected to Congress. He is the lone African-American woman in an institution that is tradition-bound and its tradition is racist, it's uh, uh, patriarchal, and she gets treated like people put garbage on her uh, house seat, uh, people wouldn't talk to her. I mean, it was a horrendous experience. And some of the people who hated her the most were the members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, William Clay from uh, Missouri called her crazy, said she was rude, and so forth. And I believe it was just because she defied acceptable gender norms, and gender norms also for black women. Because in the black community, black women really were supposed to stand by their man as well. So here are some other newspaper headlines. Fiery Chisholm, all female, next. A congresswoman in the Chisholm kitchen, next. A scrappy bundle of bones is Washington bound. Uh, this we can't play, but I have a speech where she talks about women running for office. And she does this in 1972, and you sort of go, well, I know when you're, you think a lot has changed. I think even though it was poorly conceived, Steinem's point about the difficulty of women running for the highest office, I don't think that much has changed in terms of how women are critiqued. Next. So this is the feminist activist and journalist Susan Brownmiller wrote a biography of Chisholm for high school students. Please take care of this. We have two copies, but it is part of um, the archive. And I mentioned Susan Brownmiller. She campaigned for Chisholm. Um, a lot of the early history of the women's movement is that the women's movement was all white. The women's movement didn't support black women. There was a total split. The National Organization for Women supported Chisholm's campaign. The National Women's Political Caucus supported uh, Chisholm's campaign. Radical women's organizations supported Chisholm's campaign. I was in a group, um, Seattle Women's Liberation. We supported Chisholm's campaign. And in 1972, when Gloria Steinem came to Seattle, we had a screaming fight with her because she wasn't supporting Chisholm's campaign. So I included Susan Brownmiller because she was a she's a well-known feminist journalist, one of the pioneers of the women's movement, who supported Chisholm's campaign, wrote a major piece about her in the New York Times Magazine section, and wrote this book. So she was one of the earliest uh, supporters and publicizers for Chisholm. Um, here is some other um, original uh, material that is um, in the exhibit. Uh, picture of her with um, Robert Kennedy, a picture of her with Lyndon Johnson. Uh, Robert Kennedy, um, through the Ford Foundation, was very instrumental in beginning to fund Bedford-Stuyvesant. And um, it's one of the reasons, it's a long-term strategy, and it's one of the reasons no one can afford to live there anymore. Here she is speaking to college students. And when she was running for president, it's, we have, I mean, this is the original leaflet. Um, uh, and at uh, Boston State College. Now, she always had a very strong union consciousness, and here she is when she's running for president, um, joining sugarcane workers. And one thing you can see, she was very small and very little, very slim. Go ahead, next. Campaigning in San Francisco, 
and they want you to notice the guard behind her. Um, when Wallace, George Wallace, gets shot, all the other male Democratic candidates go to visit him. So does Shirley Chisholm. The only person who gets denounced for visiting George Wallace is Chisholm. What is very interesting, and it's something that has to be critiqued as we begin to study her, Wallace was most moved by her visit than any other. And when she served in Congress, when she tried to introduce legislation that needed Southern votes, Wallace would help her out. So she was very radical. She was very militant. She was very feminist. And she was very political. She also wanted to be a successful legislator. Now here are some of the buttons that we have in the exhibit. Chisholm ready or not. Take the Chisholm Trail. For President Shirley Chisholm, unbought and unbossed, uh, unbossed and unbought, Feminist Party. Feminist Party demands Shirley Chisholm for president. They're not asking. They're demanding. Vote March 21st. This is from the uh, um, uh, no, number one. This was a gift from Joe Freeman. Don't blame me. I voted for Chisholm. Believe me, there still are don't blame me. I voted for Nixon buttons. Ms. Chis for president. Uh, Chisholm, president of all the people. When she ran, she really did not want to be viewed as the candidate, of, as she said, of, of black America. And it came out of beginning in 1970 when um, you have the creation of the Congressional Black Caucus and more African Americans getting elected, whether it's uh, like Mayor Stokes in uh, Cleveland and um, uh, the mayor in Newark and so forth. They began to talk about running uh, African Americans for the presidency. And when they came up with an original slate, there were eight men. And then finally they thought about Chisholm. And it was going to be sort of a black candidate. And Chisholm never wanted to be that. And this is uh, her speaking at the Democratic Convention in 1972. And I think this, we have this picture. I think this captures. She was very confident of her speaking ability. And she's a really good speaker. Next. This is an image thanks to Joe Freeman, from the convention, and the 1972 convention. And it gives you a sense of who her supporters were, the dynamic behind her. And everybody who I've interviewed who, were, who was involved in the 72 campaign said that her campaign reminded them of the campaign for Barack Obama. It had a different end, obviously. But she really went after young people. She saw young people as the future. Next. Now, I'm going to end sort of a little bit with a legacy. I don't know if any of you, uh, those of you who teach in Brooklyn, have you seen that mural? It's um, Green and Norse, uh, uh, Nostrand. It's called When Women Pursue Justice. And it's a mural of 20th century women's activists with Chisholm in the center. And um, she's riding a horse in armor. It's sort of a Joan of Arc motif, however, the kente cloth. Uh, she's clearly not the French saint. And um, there are all, all sorts of um, women. And her slogan was, as she says in the video, for those of you who will see it or if you've seen it, she didn't want to be known as the first African-American woman elected. She wanted to be known as a catalyst for change. And she said that from the very get-go. For those of you who teach in Brooklyn, this is a great mural to take your students. You know, make sure it's a nice day. It's on Green and Nostrand. It was done about three years ago. It was, it was 
a very collective um, effort that is um, the women who designed it are artists, but they commissioned younger women to do the paintings, and there was a big, long debate about which women should be included. Um, Liz Holzman, for example, who was the youngest woman elected to Congress and from Brooklyn is furious she's not on it. But part of the reason was is they wanted people who were activists outside the legislative arena. I mean, it was nothing against Liz's politics or anything like that, but they were looking for people who also made their mark outside the legislative. Um, the current um, uh, Legacy of Chisholm's work is Yvette Clark, Democratic Representative of Congress from Chisholm's redistricted district. Um, and then some other firsts. Jeanette Rankin, and I love her story because she's a Democrat, she's a pacifist, she's a feminist, she's a reformer. She gets elected in 1916. She votes against the First World War and loses her seat. Then she goes back to being politically active, gets elected in 1940 casts the only vote against the US entrance into World War I, she's out. But she, um, so she, very important, A age 86, she continued to march against uh, the war in Vietnam. So an activist, a feminist, but the first woman elected to Congress. Patsy Mink, and I was thinking of your discussion about how we know so little about um, Asian uh, Americans. Patsy Mink is Hawaiian. She was the first Asian American woman elected to Congress from Hawaii and served for 30 years. Um, she contemplated running for president in 72, and her, she entered the Oregon primary in 72, but then dropped out. She's mainly responsible for the passage of Title IX of the um, Equity and Education Act. Next. Barbara Jordan. Um, Democrat from Texas, the first African-American woman from the South elected to Congress, uh, the first African-American woman to deliver a keynote address at a national party convention, and her speech is ranked fifth in the top 100 American speeches of the 20th century, and is considered by many historians to be the best convention speech in modern history until, guess what, the 2004 <laughs> speech by Barack Obama. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman appointed to the um, Supreme Court by Republican President Reagan. And this shows the impact of the women's movement. He probably really felt women you know, should stay at home. And the best thing about Sandra Day was that she wore a ruffled collar. But he knew we had to nominate a woman, even though his party opposed equal rights for women. Um, Chisholm's campaign paved the way for Jackson's 84 and 88. And what is very upsetting, listening to Jesse Jackson during this campaign period, is he never mentions Shirley Chisholm. So uh, when he, I heard him interviewed on Pacifica WBAI, and he said, well, Barack's campaign begins with the Civil Rights Movement, and then it goes on with my campaign. And I'm sort of going, uh, excuse me. Uh, and Carol Mosley Braun is the first African-American woman elected to the Senate in 1992. She campaigned for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2004. Now, in, um, after Shirley Chisholm died, um, Nick Perry, right there, initiated legislation to make November 30th Shirley Chisholm Day in New York. And uh, Pataki signed it. And then Pataki came down to Brooklyn College on behalf of our Shirley Chisholm Center and reenacted the signing. 
doesn't mandate, because we certainly don't want the state legislature mandating what we teach in the classes, but it urges um, November 30th, which was Chisholm's birthday, to see if you can find ways to include her in the curriculum. Michael Moore dedicated his most recent book to Shirley Chisholm. And I was driving in the car and I heard him talking about it. So I looked it up. And um, after November and all this, I'm sending him an email and asking him if he ever comes to New York, could I just get this quote you know, on tape so it could be audio as well as video. But it's, it's really very nice um, because he was from Michigan. Wallace had just been shot. He, was, he won the Michigan primary. Chisholm was on the ballot. He was 18. She was a real fighter, a wonderful person, stood up for all the right things, anti-war. She was against all the evils that capitalism has put on the world. And you know she would probably be called a socialist by McCain. So part of the legacy, for better and for worse, is, um, at least from my point of view, is Sarah Palin. Although I would argue that her running on the Republican ticket will now normalize the idea of women running for the highest political office. Although what is very interesting, if you're following the news, is how the old boys club of the Republican Party is blaming her for everything. I mean, pretty soon she's going to be responsible for global warming. And whether or not she will be able to lead the Republican Party, I'm really quite doubtful. I think the guys are not going to let this happen again. Next. And we all know about Hillary Clinton's historic bid. And I would actually argue uh, that um, her bid was truly historic because she was, whether or not we agreed with her politically or not, she was qualified to be president. She absolutely was. And had she won the nomination and had she won the election, she probably would have been an OK president. As my sister liked to say, she'd be just like Bill, but not as much fun. But there's no question about it. Um, and my sister was a huge supporter of Clinton. In fact, I think until the last moment, I think the moment she walked in the, the, the voting booth is when she said, all right, I'll vote for Obama. She was really upset by this. But I think that um, Hillary Clinton is really part of Chisholm's legacy as well. And finally, we know that um, Obama also has followed in the footsteps of uh, Chisholm's pioneering life. Now that's my presentation.